All right, I appreciate that very, very much. Our young people can be dismissed to Children's Church. Everyone else, Mark chapter 12, please. Mark chapter 12 this morning. Mark chapter 12. What Joe shared about is the only thing that matters is the, is it well with your soul? And um, talk a little bit about that this morning, kind of playing off that same idea. Um, Jesus is in <clears throat> the last week of his earthly ministry, and the disciples are being put to the test. Throughout our study of the life of Christ, we've been emphasizing the disciples and what they are supposed to learn. And you'll see this again in, in, in this morning's message where Jesus literally says specifically to his disciples, I want you to pay attention to this. I want you to learn and know this information. And uh, he's under attack this last week of his earthly ministry. He's in Jerusalem. Uh, the Jewish relig- religious leaders have gone all out um, to, to try to discredit him. They have plans in, in order to kill him. Uh, this, you know, the, the idea of this is everything's coming to a peak, everything's coming to a head, everything's heating up. And there's even pressure on the people to make a decision. Do you think he is the Messiah or not? And, and the pressure from the Jewish religious leaders is such that anybody says anything, they could be put out of the synagogue, they could lose their business. Um, and the leadership right now has kind of settled in their unbelief. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the lawyers, the, all the people that would be in some kind of position of authority, either spiritually or civilly, are the ones who are uh, in, in total disbelief and total rejection as far as Jesus is concerned. Jesus has already exposed the Pharisees as hypocrites, so they're covetous, they're self-righteous, they're prideful, they're looking for just the praise of men, and they have an evil, they have an evil heart of unbelief. Jesus has presented himself earlier in the week as king. He's descended from the Mount of Olives on the ass's colt and presented himself as king, and uh, he was came into the town with shouts of Hosanna and praise the son of David and and all of that. But just outside the city, Jesus paused and he stopped and he wept over the city of Jerusalem because he knew it's like, man, they're saying all the right stuff, but their heart's not right. And again, the importance of that, saying the right thing. Well, look at this tonight, uh, even because one of the things that angers David in Psalm 58 is the wicked pretend to be good guys. He said they have a pretense, and they pretend like God is on their side, and, and, and I'm doing this because God led me to do this, and he said they're just wicked as all get out. The words sound right, and the words sound righteous, but the heart is somewhere completely different. And this is what Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. He comes into the town, and he throws the money changers out of the temple. This is not the first time he did this. Uh, early in his ministry, he, he did this. First time to Jerusalem, he throws them out. Last time to Jerusalem, he throws them out. He invites the lame and the blind into the temple area, and he heals them, and he teaches teaches there, and then finally he calls for a stoppage of worship as far as the temple is concerned. Uh, God's not going to be in this place anymore. As far as coming to the temple to worship and thinking that God is here present, he is not. God is going to be in the, instead of being in, uh, in, in houses of wood or stone or whatever, he's going to be on, in, in your hearts. 
And they say, well, by what authority are you stopping this word? Who, who do you think you are? By what authority? And Jesus said, by what authority did John the Baptist do what he did? And he said, you rejected John the Baptist and you reject my message as well. And then Jesus reflects and says, God did everything in his power, everything he could to help Israel produce a good crop or a, a good, uh, good fruit, everything he could to make Israel receive and respond, uh, and, and even to the point where what else could he do? What, what, what was left to do? Uh, what else could he do to, to prove his, his love and the fact that Jesus was the Son of God? And, 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 you, and you think, if we make a list of the things Jesus did, the, the healing of the, the lame and the, and the causing the blind to see and feeding of the 5,000 and he's walking on water and, 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 and all of these things that he does, it's like how, and he, he's raising the dead and it's like, what else? What else? What else could be done to prove that he was who he said he was? But he says, I've, I, I've, I've sent him and, 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 and told you about him, but you've beat and stoned the servants and you've killed my servants and now you're about to kill my son. He describes Israel as being the first, or the Pharisees and the Sadducees and these religious leaders. You're the first invited to the wedding feast, but you refuse. You're not interested. You abuse my servants and uh, the ones who are trying to help you and trying to assist you and trying to give you a good invitation to my kingdom and to my home, and you're not interested. And then even some who try to get into the wedding another way, they have different wedding garments, and I can get there on my own. I, I don't need you know, Christ's righteousness, and I don't need what he has to offer. And Jesus says it pretty simply, you can't get to God's kingdom without doing it God's way. Last week, we talked about attempts to trap him in his speech and trap him in, in his words to try to discredit him. The students of the Pharisees, along with Herodians, um, began with flattery. They, they start, oh, we know, Jesus, that you speak the truth. And we know that you teach the word of God. We know you're not intimidated by, by men, and we know that you don't compromise. And, and it's like if they really knew those things, if they really believed what they just said, there wouldn't be any problem. But this is all flattery. And they're like, oh, would you tell us, is it lawful? For us to give tribute to Caesar or not. And Jesus immediately responds by calling them wicked hypocrites, knows what they're up to, you're trying to put me to the test. But he says, show me a coin. Whose image is on the coin? They say, well, Caesar's image. Who's, whose inscription? Whose name is on it? Well, it's Caesar's name. Well, then you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And again, that, that in itself is kind of interesting, the fact that, you know, God doesn't need your money. Evidently, the government does. They don't know what to do with it, but they need your money. Um, but uh, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. And of course, that begs the question, what actually does belong to God? Let's go back to the initial part. He says, whose image is on the coin? And let's look at people and children. Whose image is it? Man is created in God's image. What belongs to God, people do. Go ahead and give the coins and the money to the government. Give it to Caesar. That's fine. But people belong to God. Give to God what belongs to God. Children do. People do. We do. And, and, and Paul talks about it in Romans where he says you need to present yourself a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's the least you can do. 
Well, the Sadducees, well, they try question number two, and they come up with this elaborate story. Uh, and first of all, the Sadducees, they do not believe in heaven. They do not believe in hell. They do not believe in miracles. They do not believe in angels. They do not believe in a resurrection. Uh, they are the typical um, <laughs> religion to them is a business. We're in it for the money. They are the money changers in the temple. They are the ones who are running the business part of the temple. And they certainly want that to you know, continue, so they cooperate with Rome as long as it fills their pockets just fine. But they come up with a question, uh, hey, we have, this, uh, <clears throat> we have this woman who marries a man and he dies not leaving a, a male heir, and so he, she has to marry his brother and he dies and marries his brother and he dies, and all, all together there's seven brothers. You know, this is the, we talked about the one bride for seven brothers, um, and, uh, and then finally she dies. <clears throat> well, whose wife will she be or whose will she be in the resurrection? <laughs> and again, I, you know, the, the patience, the, you know, Jesus probably just standing there going like, <laughs> you don't even believe in a resurrection, but yet you make up a question about it. And he says, well, he says, you do not know the scriptures. You do not understand the power of God. You don't understand about resurrected bodies or about angels. There's no marriage or given in marriage. It simply means the idea there's no procreation. There's no little baby angels and so forth. He said you don't even understand the resurrection. You don't understand anything about it. And we wrapped things up last week by talking about what is heaven and what is the resurrection and what do we have to look forward to. And what constitutes the best day ever? And again, for a baby, the best day ever is um, you know, a nice warm bottle and a humongous burp. <laughs> a eight-year-old best day ever is a frog in pocket and, and playing Little League Baseball or something like that. Teenagers, a fancy phone and you know that kind of setup. 20-year-old, it's maybe marriage and starting a family. For grandparents, it's grandchildren and, you know, getting a good report from the doctor who says, oh man, everything looks good for your age. Um, <clears throat> best day ever. Um, and, and someday we're going to appear in God's presence and it will be the best day ever. And the day after that will be the best day ever. <laughs> And the day after that will be the best day ever. Because God knows how to meet our needs. God knows how to give us pleasure. God knows how to take care of his children. And even things that we think we may need or may have to have, we're not even aware of all the stuff that God still has for us. The baby has no idea what a, what a loving marriage relationship is like. The baby has no idea of uh, hitting a home run in Little League. He has no idea what, and doesn't care. The eight-year-old boy thinks girls are nasty and have cooties and, you know. And the 20-year-old, last thing on their mind is grandchildren. But at different ages and stages in life, things are different and more important. And so we're looking forward to what God has for us. When we enter His presence, every day will be the best day ever. So they have... The Pharisees, or the Pharisees' students, asked the question about, oh, the coin, and that's supposed to trick him and trip him up, and 
really doesn't. <laughs> and the Sadducees ask about, oh, the one person, the, the woman married to seven guys, what? And, and that doesn't. And finally, we have the third question, and, and it's, also, it's, it's found in Matthew 22 as well, but I, I like the version in Mark chapter 12, so that's where, why we're here. Mark chapter 12, verse number 28. This is the third in a series of questions trying to trip Jesus up. And again, as I've shared with you many, many times as we've gone through this study and looked at things, again, there was something in this story that I had never seen before. And, and, I, and I, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I look at this passage and, you know, how many times, you know, I've been, I've, I've been doing this, I've been working, uh, teaching at a Christian school, working as a pastor since, since you know, 1977. And how many times have I been through the Gospels? How many times have I told these stories? How many times have we gone through this stuff? And to say, to say and stand here and say, I never saw this before. It talks about, the, the, well, it talks about two things. Number one is I'm not very observant. That's one. Number two is, is the amazing part of Scripture. How it's, all, it's always there. There's, God always has something different for us. And even if it's a passage that seems, oh, it's so familiar to us. Or even, 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 for example, the song that, that, that Joe sang, this is a familiar song to us. It is well with my soul. This is a song we know, and it is, we can sing along, and we know the words. But it's like different times and different settings. As we sit there and hear it, it means something different. Or it touches our heart in a different way than it ever had before. And it's an amazing part of Scripture and how the Holy Spirit works with the truth of God's Word. But again... Here is the third one. And look at verse number 28. Mark 12, verse number 28. And one of the scribes, it's just one, one of the scribes, and, and these guys would be uh, pretty smart, okay? Uh, the scribes are the ones who are writing down, making copies of the Old Testament scriptures. And, um, and they're very meticulous. They're very careful. They're very uh, serious about their jobs and responsibilities. They are also uh, sometimes referred to as lawyers, because they are experts, they know what the Bible says, okay? The Pharisees are teachers, so they certainly know the Scriptures as well. But these guys are like the experts in word for word, what does it say? Because they've written it time and time and time and time again. So they know the Scriptures very, very well. And so one of the scribes came, having heard them reasoning together. He's kind of heard the others, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And perceiving that Jesus had actually answered them pretty well, ask him, my question is, what is the first commandment? What is the first commandment of all? Which is the first commandment of all? Now, again, if you read the passage just here, it appears that there might be some sincerity in his question. But if you go back to Matthew chapter 22, it literally says that he says this exactly like the others in order to test or to tempt Jesus. This is, not somebody, this is somebody who already thinks he knows the answer. Okay? He's not looking for answers. He knows the answers and he's, he's wanting Jesus to pick the wrong one. Okay? He's wanting Jesus to pick poorly. If you ask me what the first commandment, if you said, Pastor, what is the first commandment? I would say the first commandment is thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's... Uh, According to Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5, and Moses lists the Ten Commandments, number one is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. But this says, which is the first in importance? Which is the primary one? 
which commandment is above all other commandments? He's not asking, which is, you know, he's not giving him a quiz. All right, Moses wrote 10 commandments. Can you list seven? No, it's not a quiz. It's a t- not a test. It's, a, I, I would like your opinion as to which of the commandments is the most important. Which one is the first or the primary commandment? And Jesus answered him, first of all, the commandments is, hear, O Lord, or, I'm sorry, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first, or this is the most important, this is the primary commandment. And the second, you didn't ask me for two, but I'll give you two. (laughs) The second is like this, or very similar, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And there is no other commandment that is greater than these two. Which is the first and primary commandment? Now, it is kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> if you've figured it all out, and some people have, not me, but others have figured it out, there's 613 commandments. And you thought there was just 10. <laughs> okay? And you're having trouble with 10. Well, there's 613. So, and if you want to even divide those up, there's 248 positive commandments. And 365 negative. There is actually one negative commandment for every day of the year. I will make this my day verse, okay? Let me find out what the negative commandment is for today, okay? Um, So, uh, 613 commandments. Which one's the most important? And Jesus goes right to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4, 5, and following that talks about loving God with all your heart and then teaching your children to do the same thing. This is a passage that I will use and others will use a lot when it talks about uh, a responsibility of parents to the children and passing it on to teach them diligently when you walk by the way, when you're, when you're, you know, when you're, uh, when you're in your house, when you're not in your house, you know, basically sharing everything, you know, teaching the truth of God diligently to your children. It's called the Shema, okay, the Shema. And, and basically he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6, 4 and 5. Um, Do we have it up here? Yeah, we do. Okay. Hear, O Lord. I'm sorry, I did it twice. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Okay? And here he switches around just a little bit, according to Mark, switches it around to say, loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And um, even those things, by the way, it is my opinion. Heart, soul, mind, and strength are all the same thing. You go, what? I think it's all the same. If, if, if I said to you, I want you to, I, I want you to work at this project, and I want, to, I want you to do it with all your heart. I, I want you to do it with all your soul. I, I want you to do it with, with, with all, all your mind, and I, I want you to put all your might and willpower into this. What am I saying? I'm saying the same thing. Our heart, your mind, your soul. And again, um, and then I, the might, I think, is like willpower, your strength, and with everything within you, you know, you conjure up where does this, you know, where does this 110%, where's that extra 10% come from, you know, you know, that kind of thing. But heart, soul, mind, let's just think about it. Um, the soul is who we are. 
This is our, this is our personality. This is our, uh, you know, this is who we are. This is our being. The spirit is the life that we have and the breath that we have. But the soul is who we are. Um, well, where is that? Where's the soul located? No, it's not in, you know, where's, where's my soul? And even when the Bible says, loving God with all my heart, that's not what it's talking about. Where is my heart? That I love God with all of my heart. Everything's here. It's in your mind, your soul, your mind, your heart, everything's in your head, okay? And again, we've, we've, we've shared some of this before. Um, if, if my arm was amputated, I'm still me, Okay? even if they gave me a fake arm. Uh, if, if they uh, replaced the heart valve, uh, <laughs> um, Kim's still Kim, okay? I uh, put a stint in, I, I'm still me, okay? You can actually do a, a, a heart transplant, and I'm still me. What can, you, what can you change that I won't be me anymore? Well, let's do a brain transplant. All right, well, let's do it. <laughs> we do a brain transplant, I'm not me anymore, Okay? That's all there is to it. That's the end of that, okay? Uh, and so, hmm, wonder why we don't hear of brain transplants, because it only happens on, you know, television shows and, and movies and things of that nature, because it, it, you're not you anymore, because everything about you is in your head. Even people that talk about the fact that, and I know what they mean when they say, oh, the person, you know, missed heaven by, by 12 inches or 9 inches because they knew about God in their head, but they didn't accept him in their heart. Well, it's maybe like nine millimeters or something because you're accepting Christ is done here in the same place your mind is, the same place. It's all the same. Heart, mind, soul, it's all here. But the idea is, is loving God with every part of your being and every part of effort that you can put forth. Loving God with your heart, your soul, your mind. And he says the bonus is to love thy neighbor as thyself. I'm going to give you a bonus question. And then in, Ma- in Matthew 22, Jesus responds by saying, on all of these, or on these two commandments alone, hang all the law and the prophets. And so, uh, next one. Loving God, loving your neighbor, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So it literally would be, you, <laughs> now we have 611 commandments hanging on these two. And again, if you took the, the Ten Commandments, and uh, thou shalt have no other gods before me, no graven images, uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, uh, don't take God's name in vain, all of those have to do with loving God, and honoring your father and mother, not stealing, killing, adultery, covetousness, all of those things have to do with loving your neighbor. And so you could even take from the very start, you could take the Ten Commandments. The, the greatest of all things is love, okay? Well, great. Then we need to love God and we need to love our neighbor. And then every commandment after that falls under one of those two categories. Every commandment that God gives has to do with loving God or loving others. And so he responds in that way. Notice the scribe's response. <laughs> I think it's kind of interesting because the scribe says, you know what? Hey, that's a pretty good answer. Well done. He's complimenting Jesus for his answer, which I get is, is, is two or three steps ahead of where the other people would be because they don't have any idea how to answer or what to say. Uh, but he says, hey, the master of the universe, the man who knows everything, congratulations, that's a pretty good answer. <laughs> Do you think? <laughs> so good for you. At least you recognize that I made a good answer. Hey, well done. Well, good answer. 
Um, <laughs> and um, let's see. Well, Master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as himself <laughs> is more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices put together. Good for you. Because what this scribe is saying, he literally is saying the heart is more important than the actions or behavior. Whoa. Who's who's been telling us that for three years? In 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 our studies of Jesus as he goes from place to place. Who is saying that your your actions are right, but your heart is far from me. The scribe finally gets it. He goes, you know what? He says, your heart, loving God, loving the one and only and true God, and loving others is more important than sacrifices. It's more important than offerings. It's more important than all the activities that we go through and all the things that we pretend to do. Listen to this, and this is the part that I had never seen before. When Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, or that he answered wisely, so there are kind of mutual admiration society that describes this, oh man, Jesus, that's a really, really good answer. I agree wholeheartedly with your answer. And Jesus says, well, I'm glad you do, and I'm proud of you for agreeing with me. Good for you. He says to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now the sad part is, He's not in it either, but he's getting warmer. You ever play that game? You you hide the Easter eggs or something like that, and somebody's over here, and you're like, oh, man, you're ice cold. And they're like, oh, you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer, okay? He said, you're getting closer. He said, you almost got it, knowing that the heart is more important than the actions or the behavior. He said, you're not far. You're not far. But this ends. It says, after this, no man durst ask him any more. There, there should be another word in there. I, I'm not, not saying that we're going to add to Scripture, but no, no, nobody ask him any more stupid questions. Nobody ask him any more tricky questions. There's still some, there were still some discussions that took place, and there's still some things that go on, but there was no more attempts to trick him. The Pharisees gave it their best shot. The Sadducees gave it theirs, and the scribe, he, he gave it his. And he, goes, you know, I, he said, I can't. She says, I couldn't have answered the question better myself. You said, you're pretty close. You just about got it. Close, but you haven't found it yet. But no more trick questions from the Pharisees. No more quick, trick questions from the Herodians or the Sadducees or the scribes or the lawyers. Jesus gives them a question very quickly. I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I just want to give a quick answer to the question because they don't come up with one. And Jesus said, I, I, have, a, I have a question for you. It says, while he taught in the temple, how, how do the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou here on my right hand till thou make my enemies thy footstool. David therefore himself called him Lord. And whence is he then his son? And it says the common people heard him gladly. He says, uh, Pharisees, uh, Herodians, Sadducees, scribes, uh, you guys that are still hanging around, I, I got one question for you before you go. 
Um, in the Holy Scriptures, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, David wrote in the Psalms, in Psalm 110, he wrote about the fact that, uh, um, by, you know, that the Messiah, uh, he refers to the Messiah as uh, his Lord. But other places it talks about the fact that the Messiah would be the son or of the lineage of David. How is it possible that he could be the son of David and yet David calls him Lord? Well, the answer to us is extremely simple. The answer to them might be simple too, but they don't want to answer. The answer would be that he's God in the flesh. Is that, oh, and, and what is Jesus? He is God in the flesh. The answer is, he is a descendant. He is a humanly, fleshly descendant of the tribe of Judah, of, the, of David. But he is the Son of God as well. And even Mary, when Mary is told about giving birth, Mary refers to her baby as my Lord and my God. Okay? So they would have, to answer the question correctly, they would have to acknowledge that, hmm, the Messiah has to be God and man both. That's how they would have had to answer the question, but they did not. But the common people heard them very gladly. And he said to the common people, verse 38, he said to them in his doctrine, beware of the scribes. They love to go out in long clothing. They love salutations in the marketplace. They love the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost seats at the feasts. But they devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. These shall receive greater damnation. Turn to Matthew chapter 23. Mark 12 and Luke 20 give us this little rendition in regards to Jesus' uh, giving a warning in regards to the Pharisees and the scribes and so forth. But in Matthew 23, and we, will not, we do not have time to do all of it, nor will we try to attempt to do all of it. But in Matthew 23, Jesus unmasks the Pharisees even more than he has already done so. He has already called them hypocrites. He's already said that they're covetous. He's already said they're full of pride. He said they're self-righteous. You think you're better than other people, and you're not. And he said, you think your birth is going to get you into the kingdom of God? It is not. You think your works are going to amount to something? It is not. He has already cleared all this area and talked about all these different things. But because they have turned up the heat against who Jesus is, he says, I'm going to, he says, I'm going to say this one last address. And it is kind of interesting. The last public address that Jesus gives... This is not the last thing he said, but in public, where the multitudes are listening to him speak, this is the last address that he gives. <laughs> and um, by the time we're done, you'll see why the Pharisees are like, this guy cannot even live another day. <laughs> All right? And so, Matthew 23, verse number one. Then spoke Jesus to the multitude. And to his disciples, he's still teaching them, saying the scribes and the Pharisees. And again, he puts these two in the same boat. And I told you again, this, the Pharisees are the teachers. They would know the word of God very, very well. And the word of God, we're talking about the Old Testament. They would know it. 
They would know all the prophecies. They would know the prophecies of the Messiah and what the Messiah is supposed to do. They would know the Isaiah prophecy that says that he must suffer and he uh, wounded for my transgressions and he was bruised for my iniquities. They would know that information. The scribes and the Pharisees would know all of this information. They were students of the Word of God, students of the Old Testament Scriptures. They knew it well. So he says, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat, saying, I'm sorry, they sit in Moses' seat, all therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not after their works, for they say and do not. Oh boy. He says, first of all, they sit in Moses' seat. What does that mean? Well, the number one authority for the children of Israel when they got out of the, problem, out of the land of Egypt was guess who? Moses. Okay. Moses is God's representative for the people. As a matter of fact, it says at one particular point, so many people came, he's going like, oh, he's exhausted by the number of people that were coming and asking about this, and what about this, and what about that? And he goes, oh. And his father-in-law, Jethro, says, man, you need to get some help. <laughs> this is crazy. Moses was the one who they would come to for you know, their disputes and what is right and what should we do? What, this is wrong. Is this right? And Moses was the guy. And then Moses is the guy who wrote, the, who, who wrote down the Ten Commandments that God gave. Moses did. Who wrote most of these 613 commandments? Moses did. And now they're the ones, the scribes and the Pharisees, they're the ones who sit in Moses. They are God's representative on earth. They're supposed to represent God to the people. They're supposed to introduce the people to God. They're supposed to be the ones who are the advocates or the representatives in, uh, in God's place there. God would say, they represent me. And he says, what happens is, he, says, he said, I want you to listen to what they say, but don't do what they do. It says they say the right stuff, but they don't do the right things. They're pretty good preachers, but they're not very good at practicing what they preach. They say the right stuff, but they don't do the right things. With privilege, they're given a great privilege, the scribes and the Pharisees. With privilege comes responsibility. And then with responsibility comes accountability. The one day you're going to have to give an account. God has given you a privilege, and with that carries responsibility, and then you're going to have to give an account for how you handled that privilege. And so all these things, whether you are a teacher, whether you're a scribe, a Pharisee, a teacher, a preacher, a mom, a dad, an employer, a husband, a wife, a pastor, whatever the case may be, whatever responsibility, whatever privilege God has given you. And again, we, you know, we, I can pick on the, the, the two brand new ones, the Charleston family and the Hochstetler family. They have two brand new little babies in their house. This is an awesome, awesome privilege that God has given them. But guess what goes along with that? Responsibility. And someday accountability for how they did as parents. And so it's like, woohoo, we're really glad. No, 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 you're just more accountable now. Oh, crumb. I, I tell kids, although, I, you know, somebody will come into my office, oh, I don't know, seventh, eighth grader comes into my office and they're having a problem or a discipline thing, and I'll say, you know, 
I said, your life is so simple. The will of God is so simple for you. They're like, what? And I said, it's very simple. I said, number one, you're supposed to obey your mom and dad. Number two, you're supposed to be respectful to people in authority. Number three, you're not supposed to kill your brothers and sisters. Number four, uh, you're supposed to do the best you can with all the talents and abilities God's given you in your homework. That's about all I can think of. But then, when you grow up and you are a husband and a father, and you're still a son or a brother, <laughs> you still have, it, it just, this stuff grows with accountability and responsibility. And so he said, we have given you great responsibility to the Pharisees, great responsibility to the scribes, and you guys are, man, you are messing it up royally. He says, listen to what they say. He says, as, as long as they're teaching you the truth, as long as they're teaching in the synagogues and they're teaching you the truth on the Sabbath day, then do as they say. But do not follow the example of their life. It sounds good, but their life doesn't follow or match their words. It's, again, it's the, it's the, the father who tells his teenage son, now listen, kid, okay, you know, somewhere, somewhere when the boy was 10, 11, 12, Dad put him in the car and went, rah, rah, rah. and the kid goes, whoa, man, that was awesome. Thanks, Dad. And then at 16, Dad goes, I don't want you speeding. You drive responsibly now. That's the right words. Listen to what he says, but don't practice what he does. Dad says one thing, you know. Do we get a head back further? I'm looking, for a, I'm looking for a dad and a kid. Yeah, we're back here. Yeah, we're good. Too fast for me, okay? Hey, man, I don't want you. Don't you be messing with alcohol. Don't you be messing with drinking. Man, I don't want to catch you smoking. Okay? That's all the right words. You're saying all the right stuff. Good for you, parent. Excellent, ex, you know, excellent words. <laughs> but do you back it up? Hey, I, I want you, listen, I want you to be honest. I want you to have integrity. I want you to work hard. And, and the kid observes everything different. Man, the words are all right. And, and Jesus says, hey, you follow their words because they're going to tell you the right stuff. But don't follow their actions because they certainly don't do the right stuff. Don't follow them. Because they're not interested in helping or benefiting other people. They're only interested in themselves. And he said, they're supposed to be the spiritual leaders. They're supposed to be the spiritual helpers. They're supposed to be the spiritual guides. But he says, they lay burdens that are heavy and grievous, burdens that are too heavy to be borne. They do not lift a finger to ease another person's burdens. The passage that we looked at in, uh, in Mark and in Luke talked about the widows, and, and, and it actually takes advantage of them. It makes doing right a chore. The Pharisees were such that they were so bent on, on the rules, they made so many of their own rules. So it made it so hard to do the right thing. It's like impossible. It's impossible to do right. It's impossible to follow all the Pharisee rules. Jesus heals on the Sabbath day, and they're like, you broke the rules. <laughs> Whose rules? Well, you broke the Sabbath rules. Who made those stupid rules? <laughs> we did. <laughs> he says, it's wrong to help somebody on the Sabbath day. Seriously. When, why would, when would God ever sanction something like that? You just made up that rule. 
And they would make so many rules, so many things. Just And, and, and sometimes we, we do the same thing. Rather than say, salvation is by grace through faith. Put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt have everlasting life. But then you better do this and this and this and this and this and this. Well, you must not be saved. Because we've added so many things to it. We've burdened them down with so many other stuff. He said, thank you, Pharisees, for that. He said, you're just making sure that nobody else becomes more spiritual than you. Making sure that nobody else becomes more godly. Jesus promotes the exact opposite. In Matthew chapter 11, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you more work to do. I will make it harder for you to get to heaven. No, he says, I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Lean, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I don't want this to be hard. I don't want this to be difficult. They are not interested in helping other people. Verse number five, he goes on to say, he says, all their works they do to be seen of men. They just want the attention. They just want the attraction. In Matthew chapter 6, three years ago, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount that says, uh, do not do these things, do not give, do not pray, do not fast to be seen of men. Because he said, if you do, and you're doing it for men's reward, that's all you're going to get. You have men's reward. Your Father who seeth in secret will reward you openly. Let God reward you. But it's basically the Pharisees, oh, they stand in the street corners and they pray with their hands lifted up and they do this and they fast twice a week and, and it's like they make sure that the paparazzi is there. They make sure that all the cameras are there. Uh, I, I, you know, it's the politician who says, okay, I'm going to go to the elementary school and sit down and read with the kindergarten. Make sure the press is there. Okay, That's what this is. Okay, I'm going to do a good deed, but I want to make sure it gets noticed and I get credit for it. Okay? That's what Jesus that's, that's the only reason you do this. Next one. Uh, okay. I don't know where I am. Neither did I. Um, keep going. There we are. There's my paparazzi. Okay. Um, the cameras and the crowds, that's, that's all they're interested in. Uh, they want men to think they're spiritual, and, and so they, uh, they do it to be seen. Verse number five, they do it to be seen of men. It says that they make broad their phylacteries. What on earth is that? Well, I think that's the stuff up in uh, Kalamazoo where they're producing that, uh, um, uh, what is it, that, uh, I can't even think of the word, vaccine. You know, it's one of those places. Um, uh, they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the border of their garments. The phylacteries were <laughs> um, boxes containing Scripture. Now, it actually, again, would contain Scripture from uh, the, book of Mo- the books of Moses, Matthew, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, they would put, be put on your forehead. Imagine strapping a box to your forehead, okay, or to your arm, or to your forearm, okay? And, and so it's like, this is to remind me of God's commandments. I have God, you know, when we talk about, you know, meditating, you know, hide God's word in your heart that you might not sin against me. Put God's word on your forehead so you won't forget that it's there, Okay. Uh, this is worse than tying the ribbon on your finger, and it's like, what did I do that for? <laughs> um, the idea is we've got the phylacteries, and it says they make, they make it bigger. Oh, a bigger box. If I have a tiny little matchbox up there, 
versus, oh, let's put a shoebox up there. And it's like, man, I'm really spiritual. Good grief, okay? And he talks about the hems of their garment. Uh, the hems of their garment were designed, we'll look at some verses in just a minute. They were, hems of the priest's garment were designed to remind them to keep the Word of God as they walked. It's kind of interesting, as they walked in their life, as they took a step, the hem of the garment, they would see it. Make sure you're walking in God's commandments. Make sure you're walking in the right way. It was a reminder to walk the right way. And so these two things, they expanded them to, they've got boxes containing scriptures. They have giant Bibles. They have crosses everywhere. They have fish all over the place. Uh, They have all these religious symbols and bumper stickers. Um, And again, I'm not against any of those things, but is it real or show? Is it, is, it, is it because I really do want to be a testimony for God or because I want other people to think I'm a testimony for God? Is it real or what? And, and again, I'm reminded of the one that where the, the guy comes up to the, the traffic light and, and he's sitting there and the car in front of him has on the bumper, honk if you love Jesus. And he goes, ah, ah, ah. and the guy turns around and says, can't you see the light's red? <laughs> so... The whole point is, like, are we doing these things? Is this just for show? Or does it really mean something? You know, and, and the plaques on the wall. And, and, and again, in the, in the passage in, in, in Deuteronomy 6, it talks about writing the, writing the word of God on the, on, the, on the doorposts of your house and exposing your children to the truth of God's word every possible way you can. But he says, is it just pretense? Is it just, oh, I want people to see, look at the, you know, I've got a bumper sticker. My kid's the smartest kid in the elementary school at such and such a place. Okay. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Um, stay, stop. Okay. Uh, the fringes of the garments. These are the phylacteries. Head, arm, uh, next. You're right. Moses spake, uh, the Lord spake unto Moses saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and bid them that they make their fringes of their borders of their garments throughout generations, that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribband, no wonder we can't spell, a ribband of blue. It shall be unto you for a fringe that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them that you seek not after your own heart and your own eyes, uh, after which you you use to go a-whoring that you may remember to do all the commandments and be holy unto your God. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So the idea again, is, and, and there's, I don't know, this much, it shows it here, I think, on the next slide. You see the very, very, very bottom of the garment, especially the priest's garment, is a tasseled fringe. And it literally is the idea that when they walk, they could see this fringe, and it's like, oh, I need to walk in the ways of God. I need to follow God's commandments. And so they said they even enlarge those things. And he says... He goes on, oh, we're past time, but I, I, this is too good, I, I can't stop. Um, sorry about that, because um, it, it'll bother me all week. Um, he says, verse 6, they love the uppermost rooms at the feasts. Uh, they, they love to be the honored guests at feasts. They love the chief seats in the synagogues. Well, they're the teachers, so of course they, they have the chief seats in the, you know, in the, in the uh, synagogue. They love the greeting in the marketplaces. Oh, they love to be called rabbi, rabbi, they love that. Jesus says to his disciples, do not let them call you rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, 
and all year around you. So, well, they called Jesus rabbi. Yep, and that's about the only one. And call no man your father upon earth. For there is, for one is your father which is in heaven. Now this is not using this. He's talking about to call somebody your spiritual father or somebody to respect them in a, a way that they are your, you know, he is my spiritual whatever and we're going to call him father. We're going to give them this, this title or name. This is not talking about, <clears throat> again, my dad's name <clears throat> was the same as mine. I am Fred Jr. He is Fred Sr., okay? I never, ever, 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 ever called my dad Fred. Okay, or Freddie Boy, or you know, anything of that nature. Okay, he was dad. Okay, all the time. Okay, and and, and I would refer to him as my father. He's my father. Okay, um, you know he's the guy that God stuck me with. Not, no, 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 that. There's always respect, and it's not saying you can't use a respectful term in referring to your dad and calling him your. No, it's saying this is talking about a spiritual thing. This is like um, you know calling someone. You know, your spiritual, neither be called masters, not rabbi, not father, not master. He says, um, verse number eight, he says, you're all brethren. He's going to call each other brothers, that's fine, but not rabbi, father, master. Uh, and then he talks about humility and so forth. But this idea with the names, and I'm, I'm just going to quit with this. I had a little guy, <clears throat> I don't know, he's first grade, second grade in our school in Florida. Uh, he was from an Episcopal church. And... I was principal of the school, so I was Mr. Gabriel, but I was also pastor of the church, so I'm Pastor Gabriel, okay? And one time he came up to me, and he says, he says to me, um, I, I actually had to write it down, he says, Father, Brother, Pastor, uh, Father, Brother, Mr. Pastor Gabriel, okay? And I'm like, because he didn't know which one to use. <clears throat> he said, they love titles, holy, the reverend, such and such, the, you know, and um, I think of uh, this, you know, my, he said, don't, not my teacher or my master, there's one of that. The Masonic Lodge, the guy who's in charge is the worshipful master, and it, maybe he's sometimes the right worshipful master. The Shriners, he's the imperial potentate. Uh, we have others that he's the successor of the Prince of the Apostles. He's the Bishop of Rome. Uh, actually, in the loyal order of water buffaloes, he's the Grand Poobah, okay? Okay. Uh, are you ready for this one? Do you know who the Grand Poobah is? It's Sam Sledgeheap. Um, is the, the uh, Grand Poobah of the Loyal Order of Water Buffaloes. It's not royal, but it's loyal. Okay. I figured you needed that information before you went home today. All right. All um, right. He says, you love, he said, they're supposed to be caring about people. They're supposed to be honoring my word and walking in my word. But he said, they love the position. They love being the guy. They love something where everybody else is looking up to. And I guess that I'm just going to leave you simply with, are you, do you do what you do? Do you promote Christianity? Do you come to church? Do you put stickers on your car? Do you do all this stuff, carry giant Bibles, just so people think that look how godly and look how awesome and wonderful I am? Or is it real? Is it real? He said it's a pretense. And I, I'm going to have you jump down to one, 
verse, verse 33, we're going to get to it eventually. But how important this is to God. He put the scribes, he put the scribes and the Pharisees in charge. And he is going to rail against them for all these verses, all the way down to verse number 33. Because you serpents, you generation of vipers, how do you plan to escape the damnation of hell? When I have given you my truth and I have given you the word of God and you are now perverting it, you're making it your own, you're doing what you want to do, you're just doing it, and, and you've shut your mind off to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has told you that I am the Messiah and you've shut your mind off and you've closed your mind off to all spiritual stuff. Tell me this, how exactly, how exactly are you going to escape hell? You think, you think you've got a high seat in, in the kingdom of God somewhere. He said, my question to you is, how do you think you're going to escape hell? Not by faking. Not by pretending. Not by doing what you're doing. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word this morning. Continue to help us as we study and as we learn things. We pray that it would be helpful to us. Father, I do pray that there would be a genuineness about our relationship with you. Not something that's pretense just to show other people or make other people think we're good or godly or, or whatever. Lord, you see through all of that. You know our hearts. Father, may our hearts be pleasing in your sight when you look at them. And again, Father, if there's anybody here that does not know you as Savior, Lord, they may get that matter taken care of today. We pray this in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this opportunity to hear the word preached at Factoryville Bible Church. Factoryville Bible Church is a non-denominational church in Athens, Michigan that seeks to share the good news of the gospel through a number of ministries in the area, including Factoryville Christian School, Camp Elvin, and the Passive Forward Shop. To learn more about the ministries at Factoryville Bible Church or to support the mission of our church, visit our website at factoryvillebiblechurch.com. Thank you.